The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Greetings, brothers. Welcome back to Liberation Mental Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Nick Ogrades. Happy 4th of July. It's the 4th of July as I'm recording this. It's making me reflect on the ideals upon which America was founded. You guys have seen on my social media, if you follow my stuff, how proud I am to be living in America and how much I love this country and and what it stands for. I mean, just in the title of my business, Liberation Mentor, the podcast, the name of the podcast, it it just reflects what I really hold as one of my highest ideals is the the concept of liberation and freedom. And that can mean a lot of different things. It can mean liberation from pain within your body. It can mean liberation from negative thoughts or anxiety. It can mean liberation from a horrible job that you hate. There's many different things that it means to me. But uh, I'm just happy to be here in the land of the free and the home of the brave where those things are, are really important. And if those things are important to you, please check out my site, liberationmentor.com. You can either do one-on-one coaching with me or you can join my mastermind group, where, which is a group coaching platform where myself and the other 30 guys that are in there are just learning and growing at a phenomenal rate and we're all helping lift each other up and become the very best versions of ourselves. Also, if you are feeling like you need a little bit of a mental boost, please head on over to my other business website, which is 100%.health. That's 100percent dot health, and get yourself a bottle of my incredible nootropic formula called BDNF, which stands for the best damn nootropic formula. And it really is the best damn nootropic formula. I cannot impress upon you how amazing this stuff is. Give it a try. If you don't like it, I'll give you a refund. That's how confident I am that it works. Let's listen to an incredibly well-spoken, well-read and intelligent human being, Dr. Patrick McKeown, and he'll explain to us the importance of breathing correctly. Let's dive right in. Hey, brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Nick Regrattis, and today I'm here with Patrick McKeown, who is the master of breathing. There's just no other way to put it. I don't think there's anyone alive who knows more about the simple act of breathing and how to get the most out of it than this gentleman. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Patrick. That's a great introduction, Nick. After that, now I'm I'm really uh, I'm hoping that I can uh, that I can live up to expectations. I'm sure you will. So I will, we'll just dive right into it. The reason I wanted to have you on the show, as I was chatting with you about before we started the recording, is that you know uh, someone whose opinion I really admire, uh, appreciate, and respect a lot. A gentleman by the name of Peter Lakatos. He told me uh, to read your book, The Oxygen Advantage. And I went ahead and ordered the book. It arrived and it sat on my shelf. And I've, I'm one of those guys who've got a backlog of books to get through. And I wanted to read it and I knew it was important. It's just I had a, this cue ahead of it. So I gave it to a friend of mine who's, who's a resident health nut in my, in my little tribe. He's been on the show as well. His name's Igor. And I said to him, look, man, I don't have time to read this. I know it's important. Why don't you just read it and just give me the Cliff's notes? And so he, he, he went off with it and he came back and he said, man, you've got to tape your mouth shut while you sleep or before you go to sleep. 
And of course, like I was, you know, I'm a pretty open-minded guy and I've tried some weird shit, and, <laughs> but still this was like a, a little bit, a little bit weird for me even. So I, I thought, why not? If, if Igor is so convinced that this is the truth, I'll do it. So I got the microport tape, started taping my mouth shut and lo and behold, I started sleeping way better, having way more dreams, feeling way more rested when I woke up. And so I was like, okay, there's something to it. And then when Peter said, you got to talk to Patrick, I was like, okay, well, he's clearly onto something. So maybe we can start with that. What was happening? What happens when I tape my mouth shut? Why do I sleep so much better? Uh, typically, if you have your mouth open during sleep, anybody, if they wake up with a dry mouth in the morning, they typically have a lighter sleep. So they don't reach down in, into the deep stages of sleep. And another aspect is that if we have the mouth open, we tend to be breathing harder, we're breathing faster, we're breathing more up our chest, and that's more likely to wake us from sleep. We're more likely to snore, and also we're more likely to have obstructive sleep apnea. That sleep apnea can increase in terms of having the mouth open, the airway is closing, we stop breathing during sleep, and it disrupts sleep. So I think really for sleep quality, and this has been written about since the 16th century, nasal breathing is key. Mm, that's interesting. So my, my mother, when I was a kid, my mother always used to get irritated with me if I was breathing through my mouth. And she would say, breathe through your nose, you'll get more oxygen to your brain, which I've subsequently... Well, she was right. <laughs> and she was absolutely right. But it's a pity doctors don't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, so if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, physio, like physiologically, the actual mechanism, more oxygen isn't going through your nose into your brain. I mean, I think she, using her limited understanding, was claiming that because your nose is closer to your brain, that that meant more oxygen was getting to your brain. And, and obviously that's not what's happening, but she had the right instinct, right? It is definitely healthier to breathe through your nose. Well, you know, her statement is correct. And I'll tell you why. When you breathe through your nose, you tend to breathe deeper. In other words, I'm not talking about taking a bigger breath. Sometimes people think, you know, a deep breath is a big breath. It's not. A deep breath basically means that you're taking the air lower and into the lower regions of the lungs. And when you breathe through your nose, you pick up a gas called nitric oxide. Nitric oxide redistributes the blood throughout the lungs. And when you breathe through your nose, you take the air deeper or lower into the lungs. This increases the pressure of oxygen in the blood by about 10%. That's the PO2. Mm -hmm. And also with nasal breathing and slow breathing, you're more likely to have normal carbon dioxide in the blood. And it's carbon dioxide that one of its functions is dilating blood vessels. So for example, people who breathe too fast, too hard, their blood vessels constrict. And cold hands, for example, is a common enough feature. But if you want to get blood flow to the brain, reduce the volume of your breathing. Breathe less air. And I know it sounds totally bonkers, but you can improve your blood circulation by slowing down and taking less air into your body to allow carbon dioxide to increase slightly in the blood. And as carbon dioxide increases in the blood, blood vessels dilate and more oxygen because of what's called the Bohr effect discovered back in 1904. As carbon dioxide increases in the blood, blood pH drops, the affinity of hemoglobin for oxygen reduces, oxygen is delivered more readily. So, for example, during a warm-up, people don't, don't often understand, like, why do athletes do warm-up? You know, what's the real, or what, at least what, what is one of the reasons for it? Well, on the basis of oxygen, there's a curve called the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. And bearing in mind that 98% of oxygen is carried in the blood by red blood cells, when, when the muscle gets hotter, when you're working a muscle, it will get hotter 
and it will generate more carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. And it's the change in temperature of that muscle and the increased CO2 production of that muscle, which is a catalyst for oxygen to be released to that muscle. So when we're doing warm-ups, we would say to everybody, do all of your warm-up with your mouth closed, breathe in and out through your nose. It's a bit tougher, but by breathing through your nose during the warm-up, you increase CO2 in the blood, you help open up your blood vessels, you help increase oxygen delivery to the working muscle before a higher intensity of exercise. So, you know, I think there's a lot in it when we start breaking it down, and that's even just one piece of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's way more complex. It's so interesting to me how the simplest things that we take for granted, like walking and breathing and standing, there's actually a, there's better ways of doing them than, than we're, we're taught or shown, which I find fascinating. I mean, we learn so many different things in, in our education and in school, but basic, basic stuff like that, like how to breathe properly, no one ever speaks to you about that. That's fascinating to me. Well, I think, Nick, we were, we were doing it correctly throughout our evolution. And if you look at the animal kingdom, uh, you never see an animal going around intentionally taking big breaths. Mm -hmm. And very few animals go around with their mouth open with the exception of a dog or if an animal is sick. Our ancestors were innate nasal breeders, both during rest, sleep and physical exercise. And this has been documented. You know, Neanderthals, you know, our ancestors in terms of they had wide nostrils, not just for handling and conditioning air during rest, but also during physical exercise. And the comparison is unbelievable, you know. If you go into a gym or if you, if you stand at the side of a road and you look at people running by, invariably, I would say 95% of them or 98% of them will run by with their mouths open. Mm. And I'll just give a quick comparison. Mouth breathing is trauma to the upper airways. It's sucking moisture out of the upper airways, out of the mouth, out of the throat, out of the lungs, and it can lead to bronchoconstriction. Mouth breathing is fast, shallow breathing is activating a greater fight or flight response. Mouth breathing is reducing oxygen uptake from the lungs into the blood because of a poor um, ventilation profusion. Mouth breathing is more likely to lead to excessive breathlessness. Um, the reason being is because mouth breathing, you can get rid of too much carbon dioxide by breathing excessively through your mouth. This causes blood vessels to constrict. Less oxygen is delivered to working muscles. Mouth breathing, you're not activating your diaphragm, the lower regions of your lungs. And the diaphragm breathing muscle is not just for respiration. It's also for stabilization for, of the spine. In other words, the generation of intra-abdominal pressure, the stability of movement and the function of movement is dependent on functional breathing. But nose breathing is where it's at in terms of activating and increasing intra-abdominal pressure, where you have lateral expansion and contraction of the lower ribs. Now, conversely, nose breathing, when you first switch to a during physical exercise, it's tough. And it's tough because your nose imposes an added load onto your breathing. You feel a higher air hunger. You feel an air shortage. You feel more suffocated. But if you continue doing physical exercise with your mouth closed for about six to eight weeks, the air hunger diminishes. You've got increased oxygen uptake. You've got increased oxygen delivery. You've got better recovery. Your airways aren't traumatized. It leads to better functional breathing, functional movement. Um, you know, I, I think, and also the flow state, and the flow state was a paper that was published back in 1991, looking at the brainwave states of athletes when they breathe it through their nose versus breathing through the mouth. We have to consider mouth breathing as uh, throughout our evolution was something that we did in times of emergency. It's fight mm -hmm. or flight. 
And it's not something that we should be doing in our everyday life. And despite that, I was a map reader for 20 years. That's how I came across this. Um, I was exhausted during the day. I was highly stressed, going around with my mouth open, nasal obstruction, excessive breathlessness. And there are many athletes out there, many individuals. They have breathing pattern disorders and it's totally overlooked or mm. absolutely overlooked. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sold. Uh, I'm just thinking of my, I have one uh, jiu-jitsu student who I'm always getting him, or I'm always trying to remind him to close his mouth while he's training. I know Peter, the gentleman who connected us, he's got a whole program on on breathing for jiu-jitsu and it's based largely on stuff that he's learned from you. But I think it's it's no it's no coincidence that in meditation and and Buddhist monks, for example, they're never breathing through their mouth, right? They're always breathing through their right. nose as well. And uh, you look at the best athletes, I always say to my, my jiu-jitsu students, you'll know if a guy is a good jiu-jitsu player, if he's after a tough round of sparring, if he's breathing through his nose, right? If he's breathing through his nose, it means he's, he's in control of himself and he's, I guess, making the most efficient use of, of oxygen and carbon dioxide. And that's tied to something else, which I find interesting. You know, we're always taught the, the, the current paradigm is that you need more oxygen. More oxygen is the key, right? You know, you want to get take a deeper breath so you can get more oxygen, so you can, you know, become more alive or become healthier. And from yeah. what I from what I understand from what you've just described, it's actually a function of more carbon dioxide or maybe a better ratio of carbon dioxide to oxygen. Is that correct? It's about breathing efficiently. Um, so, for example, if you were breathing fast and shallow, every breath that you take into your mouth. Not all of that air is going to get down into the small air sacs in the lungs for gas exchange to take place because so much of that air will remain in the back of the mouth, in the throat, in the trachea, in the bronchi, in the bronchioles. Now, in order to breathe efficiently, you're much better off having a slow respiratory rate, breathing in and out through your nose. And with that, with a slow respiratory rate, you enhance the amount of air that actually gets into the small air sacs in the lungs. So you can improve breathing efficiency by about 20% by reducing the respiratory rate. Say, for example, if you were sitting at rest, we would have people practice it. You know, instead of breathing 12 breaths per minute, I'd slow them down to 5.5 and 6 breaths per minute. Now, there's a number of reasons that, that I do this during rest. Number one is to stimulate the vagus nerve to increase heart rate variability. Can I, can I, can I stop you there, Patrick, and ask, yeah. how, does, how does that stimulate the vagus nerve? Breathing so by, by slowing down 5.5 to 6 breaths per minute and taking a higher tidal volume, um, you're activating what's happening. It's on a number of fronts, but basically the exhalation is driven primarily by the parasympathetic nervous system. And it's the vagus nerve that's in control of the parasympathetic nervous system. So in order to stimulate the vagus nerve, it's to prolong in a slow exhalation. That's the key. Now with that, um, there's also part of the autonomic nervous system are pressure receptors inside the major blood vessels called baroreceptors. And the ideal cadence of breathing during rest, not, not every day, but just to practice it, would be 5.5 to 6 breaths per minute. Now, this stimulates the baroreceptors, making them more sensitive so that they fluctuate or they are more sensitive to changes in blood pressure, which in turn then is, is, is influencing heart rate variability. So the two feedback mechanisms that are feeding into heart rate variability are vagal nerve traffic and baroreceptor sensitivity. And you can achieve and improve both of those, um, both of those traffic by 
slowing down the breath down to 5.5 and 6 breaths per minute. Okay. Now, heart rate variability is a very good measurement then for vagal tone. And it's a very good measurement for recovery, for the balance of the body, for resilience. So, you know, coming back to breathing efficiency, alveolar ventilation improves when you're breathing is slower, but also when you're breathing with lateral expansion and contraction of the lower ribs. And in order to breathe that way, you don't have to intentionally take big breaths because if you take big breaths, number one is you're not going to increase oxygen saturation in the blood. It's already almost fully saturated with normal breathing. But if you do take big breaths, you get rid of too much carbon dioxide. So the available oxygen that's in the blood doesn't get released so readily to the tissues. So there is a myth out there that it's good to breathe hard. It absolutely doesn't make sense because an elite athlete will be able to perform an intensity and duration of physical exercise with light breathing. And here's the thing coming back to nasal breathing. If you perform all of physical exercise for a period of time with nose breathing, you will then be able to achieve 100% of your work rate intensity. But in a recent paper, which was a couple of years old now, by George Dallam, Professor George Dallam, 22% less ventilation with nasal breathing versus mouth breathing. And that's an economical saving because there's a cost associated with breathing. And if you can perform the same amount of physical exercise, the same duration, the same intensity of physical exercise, with 22% less ventilation, well, you've got more room in the tank and you will see some MMA fighters. And I look at their breathing during rest. I see fast upper chest breathing. They're giving press conferences. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is not right. You know, these guys are trained, absolutely superbly trained, but physical training doesn't improve your breathing practice. Mm -hmm. And how you breathe during rest will influence how you breathe during physical exercise. Mm -hmm. So if if you were to look at, say, some of your students, and if they're going around with their mouths hanging open, and if they're breathing fast and shallow, that you don't see natural pauses after exhalation, that there's relatively, you know, you can relatively see the movement from the upper chest. You can predict a couple of things. Number one is that individual is going to gas out too soon. Number two, they can experience increased lactic acid buildup. And number three, they can have respiratory muscle fatigue, that the legs go under them because if the diaphragm tires due to a buildup of, of metabolites, um, if the diaphragm is tiring, blood is stolen from the, from the legs to feed the diaphragm, the legs give out and the athlete has to, has to cease that intensity of exercise. That makes total sense to me. You know, I, I, um, my very first martial arts coach, he would always say, his whole thing was, he based everything he taught me on, on the concept of awareness. And he would say that the fighter who's, who's, in the best position is the one who has the greatest awareness of what's going on, of not only externally, but also ex internally within his body. And he was saying that that awareness is directly linked to how you're breathing. So if you're breathing in a, in a calm, controlled manner, then your awareness is, ex is expanded. And as soon as you start to breathe rapidly and out your mouth in a rushed manner, then your awareness starts to contract. And it's, I mean, that's probably one of the best lessons I learned, not just for martial arts, but just for life. You know, whenever I'm, it's, it's a human um, instinct, you know, when something happens to us, when we get a fright, the first thing most people do is they, they, they hold yeah. their breath, right? And then they start hyperventilating, which is not what an animal does. An animal will never hold its breath when you when you startle it, right? It might start breathing faster, but it doesn't hold its breath and it doesn't 
uh, it has a more natural method of, of dealing with mm -hmm. that. And I think it's, it's something that's trained into us as human beings. I don't know where it comes from, where these unhealthy breathing patterns come from. Do you have any idea how it, how it came to be that we're all breathing in such an inefficient manner? Um, there is a pain reflex that say, for instance, if somebody did, if we, if we got injured, if you inspire and hold your breath, it does reduce pain. So it possibly could be a primitive reaction that may be unique to the human being. Mm -hmm. But there are many in terms of like, if I look at children now and if you're looking at teenagers and you're looking at individuals, like how many people are breathing excessively with their mouth open? And I think it's because there's a lack of awareness and also because there's ideas out there about the benefits of breathing hard. But all of that can be trained, you know, and as your friend pointed out with sleep, like we've known this, we, I've been taping my mouth for 20 years and now that's only starting to become into mainstream. The last, I think the last one, two years that there's now products on the market and we have our own one as well, but you know, it's starting to come out there and the science hasn't caught up with this Nick yet. The, there's very few papers on nasal breathing during physical exercise. You know, George Dallam is one professor from one of the universities in the United States. And he's been writing papers on it because he was a triathlete for many years at a, at a national level and uh, working with Olympic athletes. And he switched to nasal breathing about six years ago. From his experience then, he was interested in studying what was going on because he was getting the benefits. But I'll just say, we also do breath holding. And I think it's important as well to mention, it, especially in your line of work, in terms of breath holding, it's really important that individuals are able to stop breathing or hold their breath for a long period of time. And what we do with breath holding is, instead of putting the individual through high intensity interval training to stimulate anaerobic glycolysis, which can be traumatic to the individual, instead we have them jog with breath holding. So we have them say, breathe in through their nose, breathe out through their nose, pinch their nose, hold their nose, start walking, start fast walking, jogging, go into a fast jog, go into a run, holding your breath. And you're holding your breath after an exhalation. And we do it to drive the body into an anaerobic state, but it's not just that we're dropping the blood oxygen saturation. We're also increasing carbon dioxide in the blood to pretty high levels. And we're doing that to disturb the blood acid base balance to force the body to make adaptations, including improved buffering capacity, probably inside the muscle compartment. This delays lactic acid and fatigue. So there are other things. And also with that, then you can increase blood flow to the brain. You, you know, I think most people will understand it. If I said to you is take five or six big heavy breaths in and out through your mouth, you know, you may, you, you might be likely to feel lightheaded. And that's not a sign of more, more oxygen getting to the brain. It's, it's less. <laughs> so we have individuals, if they're under stress, you know, and the people with anxiety and people pre-match competition, how do you prepare them? We do slow lateral breathing, lateral expansion and contraction because of the connection between the diaphragm and the mind and also slow breathing in the mind to bring the body into a parasympathetic state. But you don't want to go into a fight in a, in a state of relaxation. So after the slow breathing, I have them do five or six strong breath holds and I put them into a stress state. I stress the body and we open up the nose. We improve blood flow to the brain. We cause spleen contraction that there's increased red blood cells put into circulation. And now the individual is ready to get out there. And these little things can make all of the difference. And I think mm -hmm. breathing was something that we were, we were fundamentally, you know, excellent. And it's like 
you think of warriors of old, breathing was a fundamental part of it. Mm-hmm. These individuals were very more inward, inward focused. They were more probably introverts. They were more con- contemplative. They weren't big mouths, for example. They weren't going oh, around shouting their heads off. Mm-hmm. There was a different mentality, you know, and like Western, the Western society now is very much about the extrovert. But in order to, to be really staying with a focused and sustained concentration with 100% of your attention in that flow state, that's something that you develop over time. And that's something that you develop by bringing your attention inwards. And then when you need it, you can tap into it. And that's a great way because the flow state is not something that it comes and goes. The flow state is something that's built up over time. And warriors of old knew that, but now it's lost. Wow, that's absolutely fascinating. Just that that parallel you you mentioned between uh, introversion and nasal breathing and extroversion and uh, mouth breathing. And yeah, just the idea of someone being a big mouth, right? It's yeah, mm-hmm. the, 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 everything's centered on on the mouth, the mouth, right? Like, Whereas if you're if you're breathing a little bit more slowly, just through your nose, you you have to be contemplative, right? You can't be talking shit to someone while you're breathing through your nose. It's just it's impossible, right? That's very very interesting. I, I find that absolutely fascinating. So uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Doctor Buteko, who it's my understanding he was the the grandfather of yeah. of the science behind this this method. Can you tell me how you you became familiar with his work and and what you I don't know if you ever interacted with the man before he passed away, but I'd love to hear a bit more about him because he sounds like one of those kind of mythical figures, you know, that was just way ahead of his time and that was overlooked a little bit by society and and the medical profession. Yeah, he made an amazing discovery and his discovery was based on Eastern medicine. So he was a Western trained medical doctor and um, I think it was 1952 when he graduated. And he noticed that patients, when he was observing their breathing in hospital, he noticed that the sicker they became, the harder they breathed. Mm. And he asked the question, was it their sickness that was causing their hard breathing? Or was it their hard breathing, fast breathing, upper chest breathing, noticeable breathing that was feeding back into their symptoms? And then he started doing some research on the gas carbon dioxide. And carbon dioxide was it's a gas that was was really cherished cherished and it was a gas that was well thought of up until the 1930s and it was a one doctor in the united states a doctor with a surname by the name of waters that started totally poo-pooing carbon dioxide and saying it's as toxic as urine but buteco and his research was realizing well what does carbon dioxide do in the human body? It's the primary regulator of blood pH. It's a vasodilator of your blood vessels and airways. It relaxes smooth muscle, which is embedded in many organs throughout the body. It's a catalyst for the release of oxygen from the red blood cells to the tissues and organs, including the brain. Um, so this gas serves such a fundamental, and we can't breathe this gas in because the concentrations of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere are 0.04%. In comparison, oxygen is 21%. But the concentrations of carbon dioxide in the lungs and in the blood is 5% of the atmosphere. So you see that the human body needs a quotient of carbon dioxide that is significantly more than what's available in the atmosphere. Now, at the time he had high blood pressure, he started gently slowing down his breathing. 
and he was able to normalize his blood pressure. Now, he, of course, at the time, he put all of the science down to carbon dioxide, but now we know better. And probably he was able to alleviate his high blood pressure by slowing down his breathing, not necessarily from carbon dioxide, but from stimulating the pressure receptors, those baroreceptors, and influencing um, the, the autonomic nervous system by slow breathing. Now, I'm not sure what cadence he did, but he also introduced breath hold time. And breath hold time is a tremendous measurement and gives you feedback of the degree of breathlessness. And this has been written about since 1975, right up until 2017. Like if I see and sit an athlete or somebody in front of me, I will have them rest sitting down for about five minutes. And then I ask them, take a normal breath in and out through your nose, hold your nose and time it in seconds until you feel the first definite desire to breathe or the first involuntary movement of your breathing muscles. And I need athletes. I need individuals coming into me to have a, a breath hold time. We call a bowl score in the book, but a breath hold time of at least 25 seconds. Because if they have a breath hold time of less than 25 seconds, those individuals are going to gas out too soon. They are breathing inefficiently and they are breathing uneconomical. So I was lucky to meet Dr. Buteko. Um, I went over to Russia in March of, 20, of 2002 and I stayed there for about four weeks. It was only a month, but I was, I was shadowing the doctors in the clinic there over four weeks and watching how are they working with clients. We had a translator there, um, you know, translating because obviously Russian and English don't necessarily mix. But um, yeah, like I was fortunate. I, I met the, the good doctor. He was old at the time. He was in and out. So I didn't have all that much, um, you know, communication with him. But I was fortunate to meet him. My my cert is, is signed by him. Another thing that that's fortunate. And, you know, he, he I think he left the world with a great gift in terms of individuals who are going around with their mouth open with nasal obstruction, with asthma. And it's by slow breathing. There's so many influences in the human body. You know, it's really amazing that even like, say, for instance, people with post-traumatic stress disorder, if you slow down breathing, you can have bodily systems disturbed by stress. And it's through the breath. It's through the breath that we can influence functions of the body that are normally outside of our control. Mm. For example, heart rate. For example, high blood pressure. We can influence them. And I think breathing now is really getting the attention. In the last two to three years, something is happening. And probably because of the, you know, the Wim Hof technique as well, which is, which is different. But at the same time, the Wim Hof technique is a stressor. So like we do breath holding, we do breath holding to stress the body. But I'm also, I'm very concerned about people's functional breathing. How is that person breathing during rest? How are they breathing when they walk down the street? How are they breathing when they drive their car? How are they breathing when they get into stress? And how are they breathing when they sleep and do physical exercise? Because we have to consider breathing as a 24-7 activity. And, you know, it's about having the awareness. And there's something wonderful about taking your attention out of the mind and onto the breath. Because it trains your brain to be focused and holding attention. And it's a great measure of concentration. Mm -hmm. For example, I often say to, you know, guys coming into me, gals coming into me, how long can you have your attention on your breathing for before your mind wanders? Because that's a measure of your concentration. And if you find that your mind is wandering a lot, not only is your mind wandering when you're focusing on your breathing, 
but your mind is wandering at any task. Mm-hmm. When you focus on any subject matter, your mind is wandering. You need to train your breathing, but you also need to train your brain. And mm-hmm. it's really timely now because with smartphones, with social media, the whole world is a total distraction. And youngsters now are they're they are distracted more and more with pressures, um, you know, in terms of social media pressures, Instagram and everything. And you know, there's a lot of pressures on these kids. And the breath is a great solace there. It's your constant companion and connect with it. It's a great friend. Wow. That's, I have, you know, I just, I totally agree with everything you've just said. There's so much that comes up that I've thought about myself. Um, firstly, the, the uh, Wim Hof or Wim Hof method. I, I tried that with a friend a couple of times and, you know, my instinct just told me that it wasn't good for me. I mean, it might be good mm. for others. I just, I, I just thought this, this doesn't really make sense. This isn't, doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel like it's benefiting me in any way. And I started to feel lightheaded, as you mentioned, which wasn't fun. Uh, but also the, the idea that, you, you know, I, I train, I, I'm, I'm a coach. I teach private clients as well. And one of the things I get everyone on my program to do is meditate and meditation, the, key to meditation is focusing your awareness on a single point or a single object. And that object is usually the breath, sometimes the heartbeat, but usually the breath. And it's exactly what you've said until you can stay focused on that sensation and experience of breathing, that single thing, you cannot still the mind. It's impossible, right? Mm -hmm. I also find it very interesting that breath is the one part of the autonomic or parasympathetic nervous system that you also have conscious control of. You can't consciously change what your liver is doing or what your kidneys are doing, right? But you can consciously change what your lungs are doing. And they also operate automatically if you don't think about it. So I think that to to me is a clue that this is a very profound aspect of the human experience or a very, very important feature of the human vehicle that you really need to master in order to become fully actualized. Yes, I would agree. And I think the time really is ripe for this. You know, my generation, I'm heading for 50. You know, in times, for example, in Ireland, from a spiritual point of view, people relied very much on religion. But now there's been a demise in religion and in institutionalized religion. And that's all fine. But there's a void. And, you know, in terms of that, that there's a you know, it's, I suppose it's the connection. It's the connection with life as well. If you really twerk with what is the definition of, of spirituality, but, and it's not about like people often think that, you know, it's, it's, it's connotations, with religion It's nothing about that, but it's basically connection with life. We have, we've got two objectives here. We are either stuck in our head, completely asleep to everything that's going around us, constantly regurgitating in thoughts, lost in thought. And most of that thought is incessant, it's repetitive, and it's very critical. It's unhelpful. It's not helpful. It's not productive. And one of the things, like I, I was lucky, I came across this in my early 20s. And I came across it because of a very agitated mind. And sometimes you need, sometimes you need that push when you're so fed up with how things are at that point. That you, you, you know, when you're, when you're at that point, you're saying, yes, there's something else here. It couldn't be all like this you know, the pressures that society put people under. And focusing on my breathing was absolutely the best thing ever I did. Not just focusing on the breath in terms of 
bringing a quietness and a stillness to the mind, but improving functional breathing to influence the states of the body for better sleep and for better resilience. And it served me well for 30 years. And it served me in terms of creativity, intuition, happiness, because the wandering mind and the agitated mind is not a happy individual. Hmm. And that happy, that individual is not only polluting their own space, but they're polluting the space of other people who are around them. So I think for humanity, we really need to take a step back here and to realize that breath was something innate to the human being that we've been doing and focusing on for two and a half thousand years. And there's something extraordinary there. And now is really the time for it. Well, I mean, I've got nothing to add because you said it all. That is just pure wisdom then. And I got to read the book now, man. I got, <laughs> I got, to, got to go read it immediately. If if those listening, Patrick, want to want to read the book, it's called The Oxygen Advantage and they can find it on Amazon or your website. Is that correct? It's it's not on our website, but it's certainly it's on Amazon. And okay. uh, we have a website, all right, Oxygen Advantage. And there's lots of videos up there and different things that people can be looking at the signs. You know, if, if they're into science, stimulating the vagus nerve, nasal breathing, breath holding to reduce lactic acid. And, you know, I think things that you could bring into your everyday life um, and bring into your training and get the benefits of it. For sure. Well, I'm, I mean, as soon as we finish this call, I'm going to log on and check out some of your stuff. Patrick, thank you so much for your time. I know I've evolved just from listening to you over the course of the last 35 minutes, and I'm sure those listening will have too. And I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. I found that very interesting that the conversation eventually came around to discussion of, of spiritual principles. You know, one of my favorite expressions, the one that I hope I am remembered for, because it's <laughs> it's not a quote by anyone else. It's one that comes from me, which is, Wherever there is overlap, there is truth. Wherever there is truth, there is overlap. You could say it either way. And there's definitely overlap between spiritual the spiritual principles of being present and being aware and the, the scientific principles of correct breathing that Dr. Patrick McKeown explained. So I just found that very, very interesting. And I've definitely been focusing on improving the quality of my breathing and making sure to remember always to breathe through my nose during the day, during my waking consciousness. If I ever catch myself breathing through my mouth, I, I make a concerted effort to correct that. But also the, the evening mouth taping before I go to sleep. Honestly, guys, that is such an amazing health hack. Do not miss out on that. Just buy yourself some really cheap 3M micropore surgical tape. You can find it on Amazon. It's a couple bucks a roll. And just tape your mouth closed before you go to sleep. And I'm pretty convinced that you'll find you get much, much deeper sleep. The thing to look for is uh, improved dreams or, or just remembering more dreams when you wake up. That's a sign that you're getting into the deeper stages of sleep. Cool, guys. Uh, just before we end, please leave a review on iTunes if you're enjoying the show. And also check out my website, liberationmentor.com. If you want to join the mastermind group, just send me an email or send me a message on, on the Facebook page. And finally, Go try my nootropic, best damn nootropic formula. It's amazing. You guys will love it. Until next time, love and light.